Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. We're on episode 41. I apologize, I'm still facing those interface issues I've been having the last couple weeks, so I am just speaking into the MacBook microphone for the monologue. My guest today is Isabeau Vayau Walker. She was born and raised in Hawaii and then moved to Portland, where she became a high school teacher for several years. She recently left that to pursue music as her full-time gig. She put out her debut EP just a few weeks ago entitled Better Metric, and I think it's absolutely wonderful. We're actually going to hear the title track at the end of this episode. She's also a member of the acclaimed group Ila Bamba. We first met about a year ago, I guess a little over a year ago now, February of 2019, when I went to Portland to do a seven-night residency at Al's Den. My buddy Dan Cable connected me with a bunch of wonderful local musicians, and Isabeau was one of them. Uh, she played with me one of the nights, I think it was the first night or the second night, and, uh, and I loved her set, and we got to talking, and we found out we have uh, a great mutual friend in Julia Mendiolea, who was my best friend in college, and is also a member of Ilabamba. Small world. Anyway, we haven't chatted a whole lot over the past year, but I was really thankful to get to catch up with her uh, for this interview. And by the way, I mentioned Dan Cable just a few seconds back. He was very recently on the podcast. If you go back, I think, to episode 36, I could be off by one or two. But go check that out as well. Before jumping into this interview, we have some other stuff to talk about. This conversation was recorded shortly before George Floyd's death, and it wasn't discussed in my conversation with Isabeau. We also decided not to air this episode last week when it was supposed to come out on June 4th in observance of the Black Lives Matter movement. Last Tuesday, June 2nd, was known as Blackout Tuesday, which was a collective action to protest racism and police brutality. The action was originally organized within the music industry, saying... The show must be paused. And because Middle Class Rockstar doesn't have anything going on on Tuesdays, we decided to move the podcast back one airing date, which is now June 11th. Because I don't want to be another white guy in his late 20s standing on a soapbox, I'm going to give a couple of thoughts and then let someone else's words speak. No, this is not a time to be silent. Yes, this is a time to take a stand and show support. This means different things for different people, and it does not necessarily have to come in the form of a 10-paragraph Facebook post. This may be a time of listening before speaking and really hearing what's being said. My fear is that this movement turns into the fad of June 2020, the month where every white person released a laminated anti-racism statement with a fancy border, donated $250 to our favorite black-run organization, and then moved on with our lives, now cleansed of racism and guilt. We can't pay off hundreds of years of oppression with one small deed. When I first wrote a post about my support of the movement, I decided to delete it. Not out of lack of support, but because I wasn't posting for the right reasons. Yes, I support the movement, but my post was going up simply to impress my friends, sigh in relief, and wipe my hands of it. So instead, I decided to share helpful things on my page, show support for my most vocal friends, and begin to listen and learn. 
Allie and I have been making an effort to educate ourselves before bed by watching or reading and then discussing. I've learned about systemic racism, microaggressions, and the true meaning of white privilege. I listened to Malcolm Gladwell revisit Brown vs. Board and watch the Netflix miniseries Flinttown. Racism is something we all have to sit with and progress towards change beyond June of 2020. The first episode of this podcast was with the Greyhounds back in August of 2018. I caught up with co-founding member Anthony Farrell last week. Not only has he played with the Greyhounds pretty much since he got out of high school, he also had a stint as the keyboardist for J.J. Gray and Mofro, along with lots of other accomplishments in his long career. I called him because he made a post that I thought was very thoughtful and articulate, covering his thoughts on the movement as a man of mixed race. The following are his words. When I think of what it means to be an American, some of the first things that come to mind are freedom and equality, ideals that this country is built upon, a beautiful aspiration of the human spirit, America, a place where no matter what one's creed, color, or sexuality, one can pursue their dreams without fear. People come here from all over the world in search of these freedoms. The freedom to simply live as you choose in the pursuit of happiness. Freedoms which many of us take for granted. The Bill of Rights, which grants all Americans these freedoms, was in large part written by people who owned slaves. To be black in America is to inhabit this juxtaposition. Our ancestors were brought here against their will, stripped of their culture, language, and history, and forced into bondage. We are a nation whose founding fathers are hailed as visionaries and heroes, yet in observance of the facts one can't help but acknowledge their hypocrisy. We grow up and watch our leaders stand at podiums and tell the world that they are fighting for these freedoms. Yet to this day, people like us are still treated worse than dogs. We see people come here from every corner of the earth in search of the promise of freedom, but we feel like that promise has been broken. Time and time again, we see people of color suffer more at the hands of law enforcement than their white counterparts at every strata of our justice system. From harsher sentences in the courts to the physical harm by police officers who are meant to protect and serve all of us. When I look at these scenes from around our country, I'm saddened and angered. It is true, there are some out there who are taking advantage of the situation to sow more chaos and destruction. But there are others who feel that they have no other recourse. Our pleas for change have fallen on deaf ears, but now, the entire world is paying attention. You must ask yourself, what depths of hopelessness and anger must people feel in order to set fire to their own community? How would you feel if one of your family members was murdered by police? How does it feel to know that your life and the lives of others like you are not valued as others in our society? When we demand justice, what is it we are really asking for? Of course, we want the individuals who perpetrate senseless acts of violence against our fellow Americans to be held accountable. But I believe it's more than that. I believe what we want is a fundamental change in how our systems work. I believe the system which dispenses our justice is inherently flawed. We have many prisons across the country that are privately owned, where some are profiting from depriving our fellow Americans of their freedom, which in itself I find reprehensible. In their contracts with our governments, private prisons have bed quotas. This means that if the prison beds are not occupied to a certain percentage, in most cases 80 to 90 percent, then the local government has to pay a low crime tax. 
This incentivizes those governments with privately owned prisons to lock more people up. This means more cops on the streets aggressively trying to arrest our fellow citizens, usually in less economically affluent neighborhoods. Research has shown that people of color are disproportionately sentenced and incarcerated compared to whites. Some of the staggering profits that these privately owned prisons generate are then used to hire lobbyists who advocate for stiffer penalties and laws that will in turn send more people to their prisons. When you start equating people's freedom with dollars and cents, it begins to sound a lot like slavery to me. Government spending on prisons and jails has increased at triple the rate of spending on pre-K to 12th grade education over the past 30 years. The United States has about 5% of the world's population, but we have about 25% of the entire world's prisoners. We are the self-proclaimed defenders of democracy and freedom, yet we spend more of our taxpayers' money on locking people up than on educating the citizens who are supposed to be the future defenders of democracy and freedom. This is but one of the many contradictions in our society that leads me to question if the current justice system is operating in the best interest of the people. When we demand equality, it simply means that we want to be treated with decency, as human beings with the same rights as any other American, to be viewed not as a threat, but as a fellow citizen, to be allowed to live our lives and pursue our own happiness, to be part of the dream of a better future for all of us as Americans. As a man of mixed race, I have had to struggle with finding my own identity within our society. As a child, I had a tough time navigating racial complexities. We are taught from a young age that if you are a certain color, then a corresponding set of expectations are put upon you. These stereotypes are one of the issues that make it harder to see that beneath our skin, we all desire the same things. Eventually, I gave up trying to put a label on myself and internalized the fact that I'm not a white man or a black man. I'm just a man, regardless of color. Everyone else is my fellow man. When another man's freedoms are violated, then so are mine, because these freedoms belong to all of us. The Founding Fathers, with all their faults, are long gone. All we have left of them are the ideas that they put forth as a guide to how our country should conduct itself and treat its citizens. These same ideas have made this country a beacon of hope for people all over the world who don't enjoy the same rights as we do. We must understand that those freedoms are only as permanent as we, the people, make them. We must defend these rights, be respected and protected by the institutions that serve us. It is up to us to show our elected officials and lawmakers that if they do not work to make our society more just and fair, then we will replace them with people who will. We do not want leaders that divide us and pit us against each other. We need leaders that unite us in striving for these rights for all. Because in the end, it's not about black or white. It's not even about being American. It's about our shared humanity. Thanks for listening. In the show notes... There is a spreadsheet entitled BLM Compiled Info, and it has a list of organizations, mission statements, websites, and social handles. It was compiled uh, by our good friend, Caitlin McPherson. Let's jump into the interview, shall we? My conversation with Isabeau Vayau Walker. What's happening? Hey. Um, <laughs> I, d- I know I should have warned you. I clapped to sync the video and audio later. That's perfect. I assumed that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Were you worried that I was going to join in and be like? 
but somebody did a couple weeks ago. Oh. Someone else started clapping. I was like, no, now we have to line it up again. <laughs> I'll clap on the way out. You'll clap on the way out. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. That's, that'll be the new thing. So you're in Portland. You just put out your debut solo effort, and we're going to mm -hmm. get all into that. But uh, I want to start from the beginning a little bit. Where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? How'd you get into music? Ooh. Wow. Um, so I'm from Waluku, Maui. I was actually born in Pasadena, California. My dad was finishing up school. Um, so once I was born, I don't have m many memories of there other than a I do remember bars on our apartment window. <laughs> I, for some reason, I remember that. I don't know if that's because of pictures my mom has showed me. Um, and then we moved back to the island. The rest of my siblings were born. Uh, my dad's from Hilo, but he and his brother moved over, or his younger brother moved over to the island of Maui, kind of for a, a fresh start. Um, they had some opportunities there that uh, felt good and healthy, timely. So. Grew up there. Um, it was a interesting. That's like an understatement. Um, growing up in like a mixed, multicultural, biracial family has, I mean, some of the biggest gifts that I feel like I've been given um, in this life have come from that that upbringing and that tension of not just having like two people's lives come together to create a family, but two very distinctive uh, cultural groups colliding. Some, yeah. some really important work that I felt like was done, even just unintentionally, like you just have to do it because if your family's gonna survive and try to thrive, you have to address some of those issues. And then some of it was really tough growing up in the islands. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it would be for anyone growing up, especially when you're younger and you're trying to figure out um, where you fit and where you belong and you you want to belong there, there's something attractive to belonging fully to one group whatever that group is whether it's a cultural group or whether it's a religious group or a friend group like to belong exclusively to one there's this sense of everyone knows i'm a part of it um it's it's clear when i walk down the street who i'm when i breathe who i'm a part of but I think, I don't want to speak for everyone who has grown up uh, biracial or multicultural, but there's definitely yeah. this, uh, this sense of, I'm never really, I can't be fully any one of these things. Like I am fully them, but I, to claim one piece or one side and abandon the rest always felt, uh, it always left me feeling pretty incomplete and um and obviously when i was younger i think my my siblings experienced this but just you swing back and forth because you're trying to figure out like physically do i look more like this part of my family and when i speak do i sound more like this part of my family when i create do i sound like this and you're just kind of hopping back and forth and watching and observing and trying to figure out who will claim me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so would you would you change, you know, as a as a young kid and a teenager, would you change how you talked a little bit or what you wore a little bit to try and belong in one direction or the other? Oh yeah. I mean, there's it felt like trying on, um, and I I, I 
being a teacher even in an, in an auntie and watching younger people grow up i know that everyone does this in some way of like essentially trying on identities and i think it gets a negative rap of like you're you're being fake or that's not who you are but especially when you're younger you're not really sure yet like you're you're putting i mean not necessarily physical hats but different hats on and being like does this feel like me and you try it on for a while and sooner or later uh your i guess your truest self kind of betrays you and it's like nope that hat doesn't fit take it off and so that i think is just natural to everyone in varying right. degrees um yep i guess for growing up in a multicultural biracial setting it's it's that plus more so it's it's uh feeling like hmm, i was just talking to my younger sister about this yesterday i mean well we talk about this often so it's not like too uh too much of a coincidence but yeah that you just know a little when you live in this zone um you're forced to and trained early on to kind of see it from many sides. So like when, let's say fast forward to now, when people are like, oh, I've been to Hawaii and, and they really don't like tourists or they really don't like Kaulis or, and they had like a really, they had a negative experience or their whole trip had was colored by some negative experience. Um, on one hand, growing up the way I look with my mixed family in Hawaii, I have enough experience to be like, yeah, you probably did have those experiences. And yeah. there are many reasons deeply rooted or, or just things like that person was a dick. Like there's so many reasons that <laughs> like, you'd be like, yes, yes, that I affirm that that probably happened. And I also know growing up in Hawaii with my mixed family, how often um, locals, native Hawaiians specifically, uh, people of color and even like class, how much class had an issue with that. Like um, how often those many individuals in my family group, in my community were overlooked, mistreated, ignored, expected to kind of make this person's trip to Hawaii uh, perpetual Disneyland. Um, so I think it's it's a gift to have been so early on forced to, understand that there really are so many things playing at once but it kind of made me feel crazy growing up just because i was trying to figure out where i belonged but i didn't really have the benefit to of being like well yeah that group f them they're this this and this i'm like yeah but i also have a foot in that group and right. to condemn them fully would be to condemn myself so i i need to make sure i unpack this a little bit more because I'm not one or the other. I'm both end and yeah. And do you feel like me. you found, and at what point uh, have, did you find that happy medium of mm. who Isabeau is? I think I'm still finding it. It's, it's becoming yeah. clear. So the image is rounding out, um, but I, I don't feel like it's, I don't know, maybe that sounds pessimistic. I was gonna say I don't I don't know if I'll ever get that much of a clarity, but I 
but what I feel now is so much clearer than what it was when I was younger. So I don't know if it's like a 2020 vision of myself at this point, but comparative to what I grew up with, which was a lot of bouncing back and forth and how quickly I'd be derailed if someone was like, well, you don't look like this or you don't talk like this. Or if another group would talk about my family or my community in a really calloused way and it, the way it would, how defensive I would feel, but just not just defensive, but just destroyed. I don't feel as, um, I feel more grounded and able to listen, take it in and have those conversations without it immediately feel like it's erasing me or erasing right. sides of me or my family or people on either side. Um, so definitely clearer. Um, yeah. Definitely clear. And I think that it's uh, showing up in my relationships and in my work, uh, a settling into that identity. But mm -hmm. I still, I still get scratched. There's definitely time. Like, I had a guy at a house show once be like, oh, you're from Hawaii? I'm like, yeah, I'm from Hawaii. He's like, you don't sound like it. And I was like, well, <laughs> like to him, he's just making like, he probably thought nothing of it. He's just um, making conversation. He's trying to make conversation. He's maybe thinking I'll banter back. And what he is unaware of is that, is that scratch such like a deep fear in it of, uh, of being like an imposter in every group. Yeah. Like it, sure. I'm like, it doesn't matter which group I swing into. They're going to be like, well, you're not fully this. I'm like, well, duh. So I swing to the other side and like, well, you're kind of not fully this. I'm like, of course, that's the point. <laughs> I can't, I can't right. swing in any group and feel at home. So I think it's like recreating that in between space and then asking, basically asking both sides, like, can't I just be both can't i just be me can i just please be let me be me but yeah easier and said than done well and i think that that's a a really nice thing musically for a lot of people too or for everybody because what you grow up listening to and then what you discover and you know the what you did as a kid all these things factor into the type of music that people make that musicians mm -hmm. make and i think it's tricky sometimes because when you're putting out a record, people say, hey, uh, you know, what genre is this? Oh, yeah. You know, but you've belonged to oh. a bunch of different places. And I thought that listening to Better Metric, if I thought I had to put it in a genre and I tried to, I was like, I don't know what I would call this. You know, I know. <laughs> but in, in, a, in a good way, because there's no, a, bunch know, of, yeah. a bunch of different things. Um, and I have that trouble with my own music, mm -hmm. you know, like, well, this one rocks out and is head bumping and this one's really sensitive and mm -hmm. slow. Um, there was with your record, there was definitely continuity throughout the record. But at the same time, I thought, how would I. Uh, I could maybe this. give. Yeah, I could maybe give some artist comparisons, mm -hmm. but it'd be tougher to classify. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that that was a, a cool thing about the record, not to segue into that necessarily yeah. yet, but I. Um, you know just drawing some connections no yeah <laughs> no that and then that's probably that's another thing when you mentioned like have, have have i found that middle ground and landed there and like who i am and uh culturally uh spiritually have, have i found like a planted space and I, I don't feel like i've found like i haven't arrived yet but i know that even in my posture towards creating that that has some good shifts have been made because in the past when someone I 
I would forget that I had to be in a genre until someone at a gig or at an open mic or something would be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so like, like what kind of music do you play? Like, what's your genre? And again, I don't know if that's a dumb question. I mean, it's a fair question, especially if you're just trying to, maybe you're just trying to connect. I'm not going to think that someone's trying to hurt me when they ask that, but right. I think if they spent a little bit more time with it, they would know like that. Sometimes that's an abrupt one and that it's always been an abrupt one for me. And it would often cause me just to mentally, not in the moment, hopefully they couldn't tell, but kind of spiral a little bit. Like, I don't know. Maybe my stuff is kind of like shitty. I, I just can't even figure out what it is. Maybe it's just, ugh. like maybe it's meh. But now it's not that I think that my stuff's the best, but when I make it, I'm like, maybe it'll fit somewhere. And if it doesn't, huh, that, that actually feels true to form, that it would be, that it would crisscross in a lot of different things. And if someone said it was in this genre for the, so that they could classify, I'm like, you can do that. But I didn't set out to make something to fit a genre. How about that? Good. I just was like, I think this is what comes out. Cool. That's this is what, what it will happened. Be. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. And did some of your uh, childhood experiences that you were talking about and growing up in this journey of finding yourself, did what role did that play in inspiration on some of these tracks? Yeah. Well, you had also asked about like music, my kind of, uh, path in music and it was music was always a uh, was introduced to me as like a family activity like it's what your family does together it, it, it was pretty late until I really realized that not all families sat around and sang together um, but your family did my family did and a lot of like native Hawaiian families do too like they don't have to be professional musicians but someone will like have everyone kind of plays a little bit of an instrument and then you can just kind of jam around the house. So it felt normal and important, but it was hard to figure out, like as I started writing my own stuff and realizing like not all my stuff or was fitting the kind of form of music that I had grown up in, like the common language of it. So, um, mm. So, yeah, my origins with music would be just, uh, it was like family communication. But I also, it, it was a big jump when I started realizing that I wanted to do it professionally because there was, I, there have been professional musicians in the family back home in Hawaii. However, I, I don't know how to express this and I hope I'm doing it, like communicating it fairly. But uh, it is a weird conversation within my community to talk about doing this at a professional level. Cause it's like, well, that's, you just do music. Music is, and I, and I agree with it. Like music is you, it's your expression. It's like a natural thing. Like why it, you don't have to like do it professionally. You just, just exist and you'll, it'll happen. Right. So it was a weird thing. Like, yes, I agree with that. That is the heart of it. And I want to try at it in a way where, um, where it's not going to just be as, this spontaneous it's going to be a discipline too so that was that was a weird kind of conversation with myself and with my community and so as a kid you guys were you were growing up singing with your family mm -hmm. um at what point 
did you did you start to learn an instrument and was that a formal education in in the instrument or was that sort of a campfire type type thing um it probably my dad and mom both play guitar um and i think i took like a year of piano when i was <laughs> i'm laughing because it was on saturday mornings during cartoons and we didn't have cable so that was like when you could watch cartoons and <laughs> I think we stopped doing lessons because we couldn't afford it, but I remember not being too disappointed. So I was like, yeah. oh, finally I get to watch cartoons. Uh-oh. Did we freeze up? Brilliant. Oh, you there? Yeah, did it freeze on your end? It totally did. When you said, you said, I finally get to watch car two. And I think <laughs> you're going to finish with ns on Saturday morning. Cool. I did pause there because it, it went really quiet. And I was, yeah, it felt like the air got sucked out of the room. Do you want me to continue from there or do you want me to start somewhere else? I will say, how about as if I just asked the question again <laughs> and then I'll edit it. Perfect. Perfect. Um, which was, now I'm like, what was these? I know, I don't know what the question. Uh, oh, formal oh, education. Was it formal? So when, when you started playing music, was it a formal, a formal thing with lessons when you, when you started putting an instrument to it, or was that just something that you picked up uh, singing songs with your family as well? Um, so I picked up, my parents both play the guitar and even the way they learned it, it was very much a, um, I think they're both self-taught and eventually got like support from other people. But once they kind of got it, like my dad learned it in high school and he broke his back playing football and in the hospital, he learned the guitar and my mom uh, struggled from like a rare blood disease. And when she was put in the hospital, she learned the guitar. So both of them found music in that way or committed to learning music that way when they were bedridden, which is interesting. Um, but I would say formal, I don't think I've had any formal training until my adult years when I took a little bit of piano lessons to try to continue piano lessons that I'd started when I was like seven, but I took okay. it for, yeah, for less than a year. We go to cartoons. Cause cartoon, it was on Saturday mornings during cartoons and I hated that timing. It was like, uh, PBS kids, PBS kids, free cartoons. Anyways, that might've dated me. Um, so no formal training. But um, what was interesting is I didn't, within like the socioeconomic and just the community I lived in, I didn't know that people got to do lessons. Like even going to those piano lessons when I was really little, um, a, a church hosted it. There were 10 of us in the room on little keyboards at a time. I could get away with not practicing because no one hardly ever came over to my me when I was playing. Oh confession i played oh, i'm so embarrassed by this and this feels so like out of line of my kind of performance behavior or like temperament but i played hot crust buns at my first recital how about that how about that I, like now that makes me laugh because if i were to do that now it would have been a complete like watch me mess with everyone but then 
I think I was just terrified to mess up. So when they asked what I was going to play, <laughs> I can't believe I did that. Sorry. So out of, <laughs> out of character now, but um, now I would overcommit. I'd be like, I'm going to play this song and I don't actually know how to play it yet. And then I would just stress and stress and stress to try to learn it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I learned guitar by watching my dad and mom. And then I would run to some other part of the house or wherever we were living and mimic them. And I just did it by sound. I even like created my own labeling system for different notes and chords. Wow. Uh, I made it very difficult, but for me in that moment in time, I wish I was further along in like confidence um, and, and in just taking risks in front of people. I just didn't want to fail publicly. Sure. And I wanted to experiment and me being able to be creative and experiment, I needed a very safe place, which was alone. So I would write songs. And then if you looked at my old lyrics, I'd have a different language of like what like notes I was trying to pick or what chords yeah. I was trying to play. And then I would take it to my dad, play it. And then eventually it was like, so what is this? And he'd be like, well, this is that chord. And this is the key you're playing. And I'm like, oh, Okay, I'll be back. And then I'd and go then back to my corner. Can help you out, yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot of experimenting. Like once I met people who actually, who like knew like music theory and stuff like that, it was super intimidating and it took a while before I was like, you know what, music, if it's coming out of me, it's coming out of me. So stop being so afraid. Right. And then if they dismiss you when you ask them a question, then they're just not your people. So, yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. If it's coming out of you. And so you did at some point leave Hawaii. When, when was that? Was that, af was that for college or, mm -hmm. or after? For college, a couple months after I graduated high school. Okay. Hopped on a plane and remember telling everyone, I'll, I'll be back in like four or five years. <laughs> it's been not, it's been like three times that since then. But yeah, <laughs> I came to the mainland for school. Yeah. And where did you go to school? I went to school. I've never heard it called. I haven't heard it heard it called the mainland. I, I mean, I I oh, get yeah, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I guess this is if, this is the mainland. Like so a, we're both on the mainland. We're both on the mainland right now. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's a big. That's like two hundred fifty, two hundred fifty thousand. No, two thousand five hundred miles. Like Hawaii is like, it is the most. I believe the most isolated island chain in the world. Mm. And you, and you feel that socially and culturally, and so when you leave it. I remember getting up here and just wanting so like scared, brave, ready, excited, wanting to kind of touch and experience all the things and grow. And a lot of my goals required me to leave. But at the same time, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? My people aren't here. My heart is buried in the islands and I feel so out of sorts. But uh, I went to a very small uh, college on Mount Tabor called Warner Pacific. It was Warner Pacific College at that point. I think it's Warner Pacific University now, which is funny because it still looks like, that's going to sound like it is. It still looks like Warner Pacific College to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. they got a name uh, upgrade. They have graduate programs. Now. They have a graduate program, but no, I want, no comment. Um, I went there <laughs> <laughs> and studied history. And then when I graduated, I went to George Fox out in Newburgh and commuted. I lived in my grandma's basement and uh, which was a really nice basement. The way I said that made it sound like she gave me like nothing. 
it was nicer than anything I've lived in. Yeah. And, um, yeah, commuted to George Fox and got my master's in teaching and within two months started teaching high school. And where, where was your first high school job? Canby High School. My first period class was uh, senior economics. And when they walked in, Andy, I was like, these kids look like me. I, w- I think I was 22. I just turned, oh, I just turned 23. And these students walking in were adult size. Yeah. And I was terrified. I was like, maybe, maybe I should have taught something else. But I mean, it worked out, but it, I was so afraid. Did you find that your first year or two, you had trouble commanding authority in the room because you felt like they were your age? Yeah, it was a weird one because like the way the uh, classroom management, I already knew that my methods weren't going to be like what my dad, my dad's also a teacher, my mom was too, but like what he can pull off in the classroom being a man and being an older man. I mean, I could try it, but I've seen people do that. I've seen people be told, like, don't be their friends right away because you got to command respect. And in the long run, you can, like, ease up. And mm. be, then, and I, I get that. And I do believe that you can't, you need to establish uh, clear expectations and boundaries early on, I guess, with anything. But students are too smart. They can sniff out a fake. And if I went in there day one and was like, hey, everyone, I'm tough. I don't take no shit. Like you can't put threats out there if you yeah. aren't going to match it. And I knew mm. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I don't want to be this the whole first year. So um, I didn't have like a clear plan, but it was just going to be, I definitely felt like I, I felt exhausted by the work that it took to be just overly prepared so that I was ready to be there for them academically, but also socially. And it was weird. I think it was harder for, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing, but the, the like female women, ladies, girls in the class. Yeah. Cause I think guys, it was just kind of weird for them. They were like, Oh, she's a young teacher. And the girls, they were like, it was easier for them to, maybe be like oh she's just a peer and now she's asking like she's the one that's assessing my academic performance and honestly I feel I still feel weird about that yeah about the role of a teacher being able to be like the absolute like that's a work I know for a fact that when I'm grading work even if I have a really clear rubric and I've spent so much time on it that when I first start reading someone's paper or their project you can get halfway through the pile and be like, I think I should change the standards because you might hit like an excellent one and a really low one. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of yeah. it feels so subjective that I think part of my confidence as I got older was just realizing that the work is kind of subjective and you're just trying your best to be as fair and as objective in moments that you can, but a lot of it is. Right. But Absolutely. And where was this high school specifically? Canby, Oregon. Canby, Oregon. Okay. Have you been to Canby? No, no. I knew, I knew it was on the mainland somewhere. Oh, it's on the mainland. Yes, yes, where. yes. No, definitely on the mainland. I hadn't been to Canby before doing student. I did some student teaching there and then left. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't know it was a place on the mainland. <laughs> it is. It's a place. 
with real and, people. And, and you did economics. What what other classes did you teach? Um, economics, early U.S. history, uh, like a government civics class, world studies, and then I was at a middle school for three years, and I did like geography, world studies ish stuff there, mm. and then came back to the high school and did student government and leadership. So 11 years of some, I, I really liked the subject area. I mean, I think that the system has some major flaws, but I think that there are a lot of things that you can still accomplish within a flawed system. And do you think, now you, you recently left, um, Mm -hmm. teaching is that something you'll always continue to do to some extent or you'll go back to a school at some point or do you think uh that part of your life is behind you hmm. also my posture is the worst <laughs> me too i, I know i was i, I was just sitting up just then yeah i just realized that like my arms are coming here and i'm just a floating head and like my body's lurched over it um no one no one will say anything in the comments they better not i'm super <laughs> sensitive just kidding um I don't know. Well, right now, yes, teaching in that kind of uh, traditional formal sense of having a classroom with a roster and curriculum, mm. um, that feels very done for now, just because the, the goal was to create space and time to, to work on my music and work with others on other music projects and that kind of that freedom, that space that I'm getting back. That's what I wanted back. But it, it also has opened up ways for me to connect with former students and youth in a ways that I was much more restricted when mm. I was a teacher. Yeah. So I think for now, I can say in the short term, I don't believe I'll be going back to any sort of traditional sense of teaching, but I meant to be a teacher. So I think kind of like I think what you were leading towards is like that what motivated me to spend all that time and effort to be a teacher. That's still very much in me. Mm. And I I'm confident that I'll continue to search out ways to to work with youth, whether it's like I don't need to be called their teacher for me to feel like I'm doing what I meant to do as a teacher. And in, in, in what ways have you continued to connect with former students since leaving? Um, in really laid back ways, I just uh, go hang out with them. So taking them out for like coffee and Cool. catching up with them um i mean some of my former students like from that first year when i was probably too young some of them are parents with like many kids which is mind-boggling because they'll still call me walker or like mrs walker and i'm like hello you have three children i like it's like a weird social flip of yeah like freedom or not or commitment and responsibilities but uh, yeah absolutely so some of them, it's like just being there for the birth, not birth of their kids. I haven't been there for anyone's birth, but uh, being <laughs> being an auntie to their kids. Uh, yeah. Taking care of needs, maybe like a, a, an auntie or like a friend would, meeting up with them. Um, since quarantine, I've been doing like weekly chats with students just to talk about, initially it was just to talk about like, with some students who I knew whose graduation had been cut because of it. And just, yeah. how did you feel on that last day? Because for a lot of these students, their last day, um, they didn't know it was their last day yeah. of, of high school or school. They just 
we're told to go home they'll come back in a week or so um so yeah just pretty organically like not really any formal events other than just calling them up chatting with them when i could show up before like going back to their basketball games um one of my students she just had a baby boy we went out bought some diapers and then got smoothies and just talked about like oh my gosh you're a mom how do you feel yeah and and i feel i mean i did stuff like that when i was a teacher but there's a new freedom to being able i i can pursue them in a different way now oh, that's very and, that's special right? yeah that i don't feel like someone's gonna call me and be like isabel that was not appropriate and i'd be like well i mean i'm not doing anything inappropriate yeah 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 <laughs> Just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, right, right. No weird messages are being sent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but but you're able to be there for them in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so after leaving the high school, you were already playing a lot of music. Um, but what what really changed for you? Was I was teaching right when we met. Yes. This is an odd question, but do you remember what day of the week I played? Because you, you had a residency. I, I think you were on a Monday night. So even stuff like that, I was stoked to, to do it. And I was, had been doing that, I think I, it was probably about five or six years ago when I decided, okay, I'm going to start playing out again and seeing if I can adjust things in my life so that I can give my best to both sides, teaching and music. Right. And um, I was trying, I was trying really hard. I was very tired. Um, and I was nervous that it would start to uh, cause me, uh, that it would not allow me to do my best work in either field, that I would start, I, I was worried that I would let down people I was collaborating with, with musically, or that I just wouldn't feel stoked about my preparation and performance or not have the energy to even do the booking, pursuing those opportunities. And then on the teaching side, I'm like, I can't fail these kids. Right. Um, so when I think when I met you, it's funny about Monday is um, just what would be going on in my mind on a, at a gig like that would be be present, be present, get to know Andy, support his music, play your set, be focused, be present. And then as soon as I start loading out, I'm like, get home, get home, got to correct papers, take a shower, change your like shift mindset, Completely. take a deep breath. And then yeah. next morning, up early, make a cup of coffee, drive to school, and then shift gears. And so it was possible for a while, but it was just getting to a point where I was, uh, I was just really tired. Absolutely. So, so that's a huge change. Is I mean, I get tired still because I'm human, but I uh, like if I played with you on a Monday night, I probably I have more freedom to not book things the next morning until on Tuesday morning. Yeah. And Tuesday yeah. morning, I'll be like, how about we move this thing till this and this shift of stuff I work on at home. I'm like, I'm going to do that around like noon. Yeah. So yeah. And, but like you were, change. you were touring some at that point or, or you were, you were playing with Ila Bamba at that point, right? Yes. Mainly and locally. Mostly locally, but so you've been we, touring with them some now. Yeah. Not even that was a huge shift. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, um, the year I met you, I, I worked a bunch of comp hours. So during my prep period at school, if I subbed for a class, I could get a comp hour. And if I got six of them, I could take a day for anything. It didn't have to be a sick day. So I 
for months was like accumulating all these comp hours so that I could take two extra days so that I could go on. We had like an Ila Bamba, two, like two local shows. And we went up to Seattle and there was one more. And the only way I could do it is if I used comp hours because I knew it would be on social media and stuff like that. Right. And uh, worked for like months to get those. And then like that, that three to four day trip was done. And I was like, I remember Luz asking about the next trip. And I, all I could think of was like, I don't even have enough time between now and that next trip to accumulate the hours I need to leave. I'm like, right. oh my gosh. Like I don't, I just don't have, I mean, there's so many gifts to the schedule of a teacher. I won't complain, yeah. but there's just not flexibility like that. You can't say I'm going to be gone for a week and I'll make it up after. It's like, mm, no, I mean, you could lie, but I feel like I'm a little public with my social media and I wouldn't, <laughs> I would, it'd be a dead giveaway. Well, and that's a band too, that has grown into a, you know, a decent sized national act, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're not playing uh you guys aren't playing empty bars. Yeah. It's, it would have uh, been no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. even if I didn't catch it, someone would have caught it. So yeah, that first that I retired in June and then I think July was the first time that I could go. I, was, I think it was the East Coast trip. And I mean, it was big for a lot of reasons. I just like getting to be with my friends, to play music with the band, um, to travel with other people. In my mind the whole time, all I could think of was like, no way, like this this just is not possible with my former schedule. And then the day that teachers should have gone back for teacher in service, I left to go on the road for another stint. And that was also like, just for me, there these markers of if someone were to ask like, what has shifted? I'm like, Oh, everything's shifted. Yeah. Like this time last year, I would have been in the fine arts center listening to a speech by the superintendent with right. my teacher swag bag that has yeah. like post-its in it and cool pens and a subway gift card <laughs> <laughs> totally but now, different but now i'm in the back of a van uh learning a new song and getting ready to do these things that have just felt like dreams before that watching other people getting to leave and do it so when you probably could have used the subway gift card still at that point i could have definitely used that i yeah. mean it, i could have saved some of my like per diem money <laughs> yeah right what's well, and talk talk about that a little bit what it's been like how your relationship uh, with Luz started and what what playing with that group has has done for you and the experience I met Luz through like a a few years ago I was I interviewed her I like how I'm pointing to this I didn't use zoom I wasn't that cool uh for my YouTube channel because I've been highlighting women in like the, their art or their craft and the interview, I mean, went really well, but we just kept in contact after that. And I'm grateful for it because especially during that interview, there's just a lot of things that she expressed where like immediately I was like, oh, I feel, I get that on a personal level. And, it, and, and then the way she articulated it being like, and that, that makes sense even in the way you're expressing, like it felt, she felt familiar to me already. So our friendship continued from there and then it wasn't until like probably a year or more into our that initial meeting and friendship that we started doing any sort of music together and again it was like local stuff like at that point the band had different members and um so it would be like hey we're playing at the white hour or playing 
something in Seattle and that I could do. Right. Um, but then the band started experiencing a ton of uh, internal shifts. So it just kind of, I, I don't know if that sped up me coming on board in a mm, bigger way. Practically, practically it, it probably was the case. And then started playing with, with like the full band and new members coming on and it's kind of learning each other and learning. I mean, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a weird thing to be doing your business and craft together, but especially with Luz, and I, I think this is something that I agree with her on, and it's one of the reasons why I felt drawn to her, not just as a friend, but as like a fellow like creator. Is she's really, it's really important for her to find the right people for a project. So yes, talented and member of the band, Zach, Miguel, Julia, Ryan, so talented, Luz, obviously. Yeah. Um, so talent is like so important, but more importantly, she's searching for the right people because the content of the songs and the way that they, they want to be expressed. And then even just practically, if you're gonna be on the road with people for like sustainability, you wanna find people that you can do life with and that's yeah. something I had thought about and I've lived in community growing up so I knew that but I'd never known it in its road being on the road together what that would look like and that's something that's just become so clear to me that if you're going to make any sort of project or create any sort of team it's difficult work to find the people who you can trust their craft but you can also trust that you want to do life with them yeah that would be really tough I'm thinking of like how like over time I wonder how many bands were creating this music that we loved, but if you saw behind the scenes, how much turmoil there must have been. And right. for me, I, maybe I'm just extra or too sensitive. That would just rob me of all the joy that comes with creating music. Like, I don't know how long I could last if the people who I was in the trenches with, if we weren't like bought into each other. Whew. I think at some point I'd just be like, okay, I tap out on this project and I know I'm going to miss out on a lot. And I know that people are going to be like, that was a bad move, but I think a worse move would be to remain in something where it's poisoned by bad relationships. So I've, I'm very grateful for the, the professionalism in the band and the, the growing friendships and relationships between all of us. It makes it feel like closer like to a growing into a family and not and not simply a, like a work team. And I think it's really hard as a band as a band leader to surround yourself with those kind of people and I mean with with the right kind of people and it's hard as a uh just being in any group to to be a part of something like that. Um what is loose like as a, a band leader and how what does she do differently that that makes the project so special? Well, I haven't had a whole lot of experience in this, like in a traveling band. Right. So I don't have excuse me, a ton of comparisons that I feel like would be like fair. Like my the comparisons I'm thinking of just like people who've been in leadership roles in on teams that I've been a part of that aren't necessarily even like music related. Yeah. Um, 
But something that, I mean, again, that drew me to lose as a friend, but also I see evolving in her leadership as a band leader, she, she will communicate often what her, her vision is for, for songs and for uh, the group of us. And she's really transparent with her own stuff. Like there's, um, I think that is always a delicate balance in any sort of leadership position where you have some people like a great leader never shows weakness. And you're like, well, nah, because we don't yeah. believe it. Everyone's weak. So if you pretend like you don't, then you actually just come across as a liar. Right. And then if you're on the other end where you are almost seem like brittle to the point where you can't pivot and make decisions on that were are costly on behalf of the group. And then, then you, you almost feel untrustworthy because people are like, I don't know if I can rely on you. So what I see, I just saw my lights drop. I know. I love that. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) something that I've seen her, like something I was drawn to it and and she's continually working on it and evolving into it is this dance between like strength in the form of going like to the front of the, the army and being like this way, you guys, this is what the direction we're going with the song, or this is what we're going to do with our time in bet- before before we go on stage or during tour, this is what our focus is going to be. But then also being really transparent and being like, this, this show is really hard for me. Or this one that we're about to walk into, X, Y, and Z is why I'm nervous or yeah. I'm unsettled. And, um, and again, like we're still all growing together. So, but I, I see us evolving in the direction of being able to hold space for everyone to have their chance to say that without it being like, whoa, like, is she scared? It's like, yeah, we, we all are at some point. All of us have these kind of worries itching at the back. Um, yeah. And it, it would just, I think ideally it would just be nice to have a crew, to have a team that could show up for each other in that way. And when someone's yeah. having a tough night or a tough stint stepping in, and like holding them up. Um, so yeah, I, I see that in her and I, I love that about her. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Sorry and if that shocked you. <laughs> no, no. Well, I had been looking at the lights the whole time. Like, oh, those are, those are nice. I like that. And then watching them fall down behind you. <laughs> My painter's um, tape isn't holding them up. Come yeah. on, guys. <laughs> and now I want to jump into your, your solo release, but a, a very quick shout out to one of your bandmates in that group, Julia Mendialea, if she's listening. She was my very, very best friend in college. We were attached at the hip from orientation till the end. So Julia, if you're listening, hey. I love that. I love that you brought up that that is from orientation because that's a special friendship if you guys have remained connected since then. Because for me, that was like the person, you're looking for the person whose eyes look just as terrified as you are. You're like, you? Is it going to be you? You? <laughs> It was that kind of it was that kind of <laughs> connection, and and we we had so many classes together, even core classes. And and she'll tell you, I you know I'd look off her paper in geography or whatever. But uh, um, it was uh yeah, it was just a, it was a great time. She helped get me get me through college. And the last time I actually <laughs> saw her was we don't see each other a ton anymore, even though we're both in Denver because you know life and stuff. <laughs> but last time I actually saw her was in Portland, I think when I was in town for that residency and she had connected with me 
because you guys were about to play in Portland and then go to Seattle. But I was also about to play with you. I think it was on Monday night. And she's like, oh my gosh, small world. Let me tell you everything about how (laughs) weird this all is. Um, That is, that's such a small world. Like even when you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, they're friends. You're like, no, we were best friends. Oh yeah. I I love Julia. She's wonderful. She is. She is. She's She's the best. Genuine human. Also, when I said genuine, that word felt very weird. Did I say that right? I think you said it right. Got nervous. She's one of those... She's one of those people, uh, for me, that even if we haven't seen each other for two years or haven't mm-hmm. talked for a while, it would just, yeah, it just picks right up where it left off, yeah. which yeah. is cool. But so you've, you put out your first solo effort recently. Mm-hmm. It's called Better Metric. Um, what was the decision behind, when, when you first left the high school, were you thinking, I want to do a solo project? Or were you thinking, I just want to play music full-time in some capacity? Um, I think what I said out loud was, I, I want to do music in, in any form. Well, at that point, I knew it would be more, I'd get to say yes to more band stuff. I'd have more time to write and collaborate and record. So... Like when people would be like, oh, like students, especially you're retiring or you're quitting because did you get signed? I'm like, no. They're like, did you did you win the voice? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, no. I'm like, I just worked and saved up so that I could launch from here and buy back my time so that I could put it towards these other things. But I don't think I told anyone other than maybe a close few that I had I did have some tangible goals that I wanted to meet and one of them was within the first year of this retirement to to record my own project I didn't know at that point timeline if I would be able to release it Um, but I had I actually many 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 years ago like a decade ago I released self-released a little EP and it, it is mine and I own it and I actually do love it but it there were just so many ways about how how I recorded it and how I released it that I like I didn't want I don't know I wasn't embarrassed of it I don't feel like that's the right word but it just I was very unsure so this definitely feels my posture towards it from the start was different um who I got on board that was different um and I had had a lot most of these songs I'd had been playing and writing so it wasn't I didn't write them for this project I just sat down with Ryan and collectively picked these but uh yeah it was it was a goal in my head I just didn't tell anyone because there was this fear if I tell people and then I do freak out a little bit and don't do it I'm gonna they're gonna know (laughs) that I didn't do it (laughs) they're gonna know that you didn't do it but but you just did it you did it I just did it everyone could know and it's a it's a very mature release too I I think about sort of sort of what I've done is maybe kind of on the opposite end where I was just putting out everything, um, you know, because what I wrote when I was 17, yeah. I thought was great. Yeah, all and of then, us thought it was great. It probably was great. Yeah, sure, sure. But I, I look back and they're all on Spotify. And, you know, if one of my students like, oh, I was listening to your track, <laughs> such and such. I'm like, oh, God, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. <laughs> because there's been such a change in development, I think. Um, but this release to me feels very mature. All the songs tie together well. Thank They're you. great songs. Um, I think my personal favorite is the title track. 
but I love them all. Um, Thank you, Andy. Do you have, well, first off, what is the meaning of better metric for you? And how did, how did that song end up getting the, uh, getting the title billing? Uh, better metric is I'll often summarize it as, uh, for a long time, for most of my life, I've believed that in order to love another human, whether I'm close to them or just walked by them in the street, that the, my best way to care for someone was to, um, not the best way, but along with like to love someone was to not uh, conflict with them. Like it, I would be faster to erase myself than I would be to like conf create any sort of conflict or resistance to another person. So that could be a small disagreement that could, um, if they said something about what I look like or where I was from or my songs or whatever, I, I believed them. Like, yeah. And, and it felt even looking back at my younger self, it felt pretty irrational. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't without a metric of like what I thought was good and great and not growing up. And that was definitely formed, but I would, it was a combination of wanting to do right by people and just a ton of like, maybe like pain and insecurity where my first instinct, if someone were to question me in anything would be like to defer, which can mm. be, I think it's a very important skill to learn how to defer to one another, but I swung so far to the other side of just, they must be right. Yeah. They must, they must be right. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't like trust my own intuition. I wouldn't even trust my own metrics that I'd been built or taught or had watched play out. Or, um, it was just, I would like, I believe these things, but if someone came in and was like, well, that's blah, 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 or stupid, how quickly I would just like dispose of that. Stupid, like, you're yeah. right. I'd like, you're right about those things. I'm the worst, or this is the worst, or that's silly, or that's dumb. Like, mm -hmm really big things and really small stakes things. So over time, getting older, doing a lot more watching, observing a lot more. I mean, again, just getting older means that you have the opportunity for more time to reflect. I don't think all of us take advantage of it. Um, but just things becoming clearer that I can love people I can look out for them I can care for them in whatever ways that the relationship needs but I don't have to forfeit uh my what I like we can think differently on things mm -hmm. and that and that sometimes maybe I might have a better way of thinking about something which sounds for some that I don't know that it feels arrogant to say that, but for so long I swung to the other side where I was like, oh, mine must be so like the way I'm doing this is so silly. I'm, I'm so embarrassed, but it, it felt revolutionary to be like, wait a minute. Not only can I think, can we think differently? I think there are some scenarios where I'm thinking better about this and yeah. And I, yeah. And so you argue with them until they acknowledge that you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or even just being able to like in situations where we don't have the relationship or context where i can like lean in and argue my case it's just being able to walk away from something even i mean youtube's a big example sometimes the commentary mm. like starting a youtube channel years ago one of my biggest fears was am i going to be able to like 
hold tight to my core when the trolls come. Like when the trolls start commenting on everything from your hair to your instrumentation to your video camera to the person you're singing with, will I be able to cut through all that shit and remember and get back to why I was there? And when I was younger, that stuff would derail me and it still hurts, but now it's, it's a faster transition between reading something and going, ah, uh, nah. Yeah. Like, that's like that was, me. yeah, that's not me or that, that stings, but, but I don't believe it. Like the, whatever that person felt like gave them permission to say those. I'm like, we're just operating on two like very different standards. And I, I'm not with you on that one. So I'm not going to give you any more time for that. And then I can shift gears and focus on people and things that matter. So yeah, better Absolutely. metric. Better metric. Go check it out. We'll, of course, this will be linked in the show links. Um, so you can go check out the album. Support Isabeau. We'll have a, a link to the Patreon and everything. And I actually want to talk to you about the marketing of the album a little bit. I've noticed, I mean, obviously I follow you on socials and stuff, but I've noticed that leading up to the release and now right after the release, um, I see that there's been a plan in place that's being executed very well. Oh, um, thank you. I was worried that you're making a plan in place. Yeah, <laughs> a plan in there. place. <laughs> no, and it's been executed very well. I think it, I, I'm always looking at other artists and seeing how they're releasing stuff. I'm releasing an EP on Saturday. And, hey! And it's, it's for, hey! Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. That's a big deal. Seriously, it how is. much work and you that you've put into that so well done thank you i know it, it is it's it's a lot of work and it always feels super accomplishing but um it's so tough to put the right marketing plan in place yeah. to get people to care I, we've all been there where we put maybe we edited our own video for five hours and 16 people watched it or whatever um and we've also been there for that little piece of content that took five seconds that 600 people watched. It just, <laughs> you're like, no, what? how did this, how did this happen? Yes. Um, but I, I noticed that your release plan, you were constantly announcing it and it was, con and, and it was constantly piquing people's interest. And then after the release, you had local artists covering the songs. Um, which seemed really cool because I was like, oh, now somebody else that either we know or we don't know, and mm -hmm. maybe the artist's fans don't know you yet or whatever, mm -hmm. the circle's expanded. Talk about your release plan a little bit. How did, how did this all come together? Well, also, and we can do this here or later too. I'm so curious what you're up to because like for your release, yeah. I, did, I did a lot of investigation just the stuff you typically do, I feel like, as a musician, where you're watching other people release a project and you're trying to figure out what they're doing. Does it line up with you? Because people could be like, I have friends who've done released, had like campaigns to release something, and it's awesome, but it doesn't fit me. Cause, right. So it's like, it's a tough thing because it's not like I can just take their template and be like, cool, gonna do that. Because when I've tried it, if it doesn't feel organic, it's kind of like what you say, like, I think your listeners get that. And it, yeah. it feels uncomfortable for yourself and for other people. So early on, like right when I started recording with Ryan, I think I more intentionally started watching and uh, screenshotting what other people were doing and trying to figure out, okay, one, what did, what did they do? And can, is this me? Is this, and is it uncomfortable because I just, 
it feels cringy to self-promote or is it uncomfortable because it just doesn't fit my personality, my, how do I say, flavor, but that's yeah. weird, vibe, I don't know. Right. Um, and then met with friends, like just asked them like what they did and listened to them and, and let them know. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like what, I want to dream because I have a tendency to try to figure out, I don't want things to fail publicly, but I also want to take some risks. Like, yeah, you got to take risks, right? but I want to take the right ones as best as possible. And um, yeah, I just talked to a lot of friends, took people out for drinks so I could like, and told them, I'm, can I take you out for a drink to pick your mind and just sat with them. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that could work. And then going home being like, oh, this other thing, I don't know if I could pull it off yeah. well. Um, and then, yeah, I mapped it out, sat down with my little paper. I don't know about you, but I have my calendar on my phone, but I have to have like a paper. I'm so curious. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is mine. So I have my notepad. I love and it. My calendar. And we're, just... we're the same. Look, I got my notepad. <laughs> yeah. This is great. So I have on my phone for like reminders, but for to envision, like to, I was like, this is when it's going to release. This is the release show and then backwards plan it and be like, what would make sense? Cause I don't want to, I don't want to bombard people. Yeah. Like, Saturate it in a way where people start getting sick of me. Cause I'm like, I'll probably get sick of me before they get sick of me. And then it'll just be a clusterfuck. I'll just hate myself. They'll hate me. Blah. blah. <laughs> um, but also how to, to show them like, I am excited about this and I mean it. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm not excited by throwing like a last minute and I'm not saying this is wrong, but I know myself that there is a, a fear of looking like I care too much about it. Like how embarrassing she's trying so hard. And then I'm really coming to terms with like, yeah, I am trying. I'm trying real hard. I'm self-releasing. Yeah. So I, I have no team member other than, I mean, I have friends and supporters in that way, but I'm building the calendar. I'm paying for the resources. I'm trying to find, the creatives who will help me with with the artwork the release I, i'm i'm you know what i mean like it it feels if anyone was like wow she's trying i would probably have to be like you're right i'm trying really hard like yeah, yeah that's and i'm not going to pretend i want it to look natural but it's not going to look effortless because it took effort like i i actually had to hustle and 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 hit a lot of snags along the way but um but constantly trying to come back to i know it sounds like a plug but it's not like my metrics like what really matters who do i want to connect with uh what will i what will i compromise on what will i not compromise on so just anytime i was like oh, i was trying to do this project but then couldn't find the right support behind it i'm like is this worth pressing does this meet up with my metrics and if it is then keep pressing don't be afraid of rejection and if it felt like it didn't, then I would just go, okay, it's unimportant, at least for this project. I'm going to, I'm going to make other music. Like this is not mm. the last thing I'm going to create. So if something didn't work out, like, um, have you done submit hub before? I actually, the last episode of this podcast is with the CEO of submit hub. Oh my and gosh. Not, I know so I was, so I'm I was trying to use it for the first time and getting caught up on some things. I look at my inbox, swear to God, right then, his PR person has reached out and said, do you want to interview Jason for your podcast? And I went, would I? 
can he help Would me? Sub- can he help me submit a song? So we actually talked about it for we talked about his platform for the first forty five minutes of the podcast, and he was excellent, super yeah. helpful. He codes Good. it all himself, and then wow. the last twenty minutes we screen shared so people can see on YouTube, and we submitted a song together. That's awesome. Well, I so, had yes, never used it. I have it. now. <laughs> Good for you, and I I'm glad that I tried it. My friend Jed recommended I try it. I was nervous just because I had heard kind of mixed reviews, more mixed reviews on like, be prepared, you're going to get slammed. And, I, right. and again, I'm like, okay, well, what kind of feedback am I actually looking for? Because if someone's going to critique like song arrangement, well, at this point, like the EP's done. I'm not going back into the studio to modify anything at this point. So if, if, <laughs> if they don't like the arrangement, I'm like, well, Thanks for the feedback. Um, Here's the producer's number. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Call Ryan. Just kidding. He'll be like, Bo chose that. Um, Yeah, no. So I, overall, I feel like it was a good risk. Um, And I don't feel like I got a full grasp of how to utilize it, like exploit it to my benefit. But out of it, I got a few. What it did clarify is I'm looking for, at least with my projects, less of like the quick shout outs on because I, I didn't realize this was an option. I was looking for write-ups, but there were a lot of people that were offering uh, like shout-outs from their, their music social media pages, which could be helpful. Yeah. But, but I think it's less helpful than maybe getting some meaningful write-ups. So if I could redirect my behavior, if I could do, when I do this again, I'm going to seek out those who and see if they'll they'll write up something on the project or on a song that's a little bit more substantial than a quick bio piece of the person and then the title of the song. Right. Um, I mean that that could be helpful here and there getting just I mean getting your the scope like out there with uh the song out there with more people but I don't know if it moved things along very much for me but sorry. I think I got off track. I did okay, plan great. all this and I'm really grateful that uh, even with the coronavirus and the shifts that um, I'm going to speak to myself, Isabel, I'm grateful that you didn't give up there. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously there were sl- there's slowdowns in everybody's release. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. um, that aren't releasing. And I, I talked to a couple national promoters that were like, yeah, we're yeah. working Jason Isbell's record and that's number one. And it's hard to work right now kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it's it's a bummer to see, but I it's also I'm grateful to see everybody who's saying, well, screw it. Mm-hmm. I know what's going on right now in the world. That's not going to keep me from releasing art as best yeah. I can, and and I love that. Um, what are some things that have gotten slowed down for you? You've put out the EP. Mm-hmm. What what else would we have right now that we don't because of what's going on? That's funny. Even when you were asking that, I think there are. Few, uh, just a few things, but which feels strange because it felt there. I mean, you know this that behind the scenes there was so much adjusting that had to be done. So as soon as we were relegated to our homes, a handful of shows that I was going to do as a lead up, like even my friend Jacob who played at the release or for the release live stream, like we were going to do a couple shows beforehand, it's kind of a lead up to it. I had some other shows within March and April that I was going to be plugging it. Um, with different artists, making some a uh, couple more music videos, the vinyl being pressed, um, mm. 
the lyric books being printed and sent out. So on one hand, it felt like, not felt like a lot had a, to switch up really quick, but I knew in my mind, like I have this one, I have to decide really quickly if I want to follow through with the release on this timeline. And if I do, I need to really quick switch up some things so that I could just, again, pivot and start giving 100% to those areas. But I feel like to everyone on the outside, not a whole lot changed for them. Just that the release show went online and that the vinyl is going to come out a little later, which is, I'm glad that there's less repercussions on the outside. It just feels funny because I'm out over here like freaking out a little bit, yeah. scrambling, calling people, realizing, okay, that project can't be done. And I mean, I'm just going to have to let that rest. That's okay. Yeah. Don't put pressure on something that you can't change. And then at the end of the day, everyone's like, oh, so just the vinyl will be late. And you're like, yeah. And I'm stoked about that. But I'm like, I feel crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big thing. Because you're like scrambling to try to keep it going smoothly. But if you do it right, no one will know that you've been like frantic. But then no one will know why you look crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so as, you, as you've been promoting this, you also started a Patreon. Mm -hmm. um, and you've been using that to really let people into your world. I assume. I mean, that's why most people have Patreons and to, and to get some <laughs> extra supporters. What's your experience been on the platform thus far? Um, I've been on it for a while, which might, I mean, some people probably have grown faster on Patreon than I have. Seems to be a theme for me, kind of slow cooker, <laughs> long run. Sometimes that's the intention. Sometimes it just happens like that. Yeah. Um, but overall it has for for me it's been a community of people who just have bought in to me that feels weird saying that how can I rephrase that uh, well they have been a way I guess yeah and I, I well being like a woman in this in, in the music industry I know th things are changing I'm feeling them change but definitely when I was younger the message I got especially for women is uh when you get older, you're irrelevant because a lot of your youthful beauty and the, the, the surprise of like, oh my gosh, that voice is coming out of who? And they're like, that girl, she's 20. And you're like, oh my gosh, she's yeah. the next big thing. And I, I mean, everyone will feel that, not just women, but I, there's definitely socially a, a huge um, currency of youthful beauty. Yeah. Where sometimes I'd hear... It, it explicitly sometimes just implied but that uh like your windows closing your windows closing and and there are some practical things to that yeah like i can't be writing bops for 17 year olds that will feel really relevant maybe when i'm 80 like maybe right. that maybe that's not gonna happen maybe um yeah. but patreon for me has been a huge part in realizing that or showing my own behavior that i i choose artists and i stick with them Initially, maybe because of their their songs and their craft and what they're doing. But if I'm going to stick with anyone for the long haul, it's because I'm going to buy into them as a person. So whether their their sophomore album sounds different and people are like, oh, it doesn't sound like them. I'll be like, it doesn't sound like them, but I'm curious about this person that's evolving. So I'm yeah. still here. And right. then they get older and they, they look older or their music shifts or their band shifts or they start other projects that I'm curious about the whole 
person, the whole creative creative type. So knowing that behavior on my part was a, a huge uh, motivation to start behaving that way and re- remembering that the people who are hopping on board on my Patreon, that I want to provide them with the perks that keep them um, interested and around, but also to remember like, if you're doing all those things, if people leave, then it's just not going to be your people. And that's right. okay. And just keep um, investing in the community who's in your corner. Um, offer what you feel like you can offer. Stretch yourself, but also don't don't sell out in a way where you can't be that for very long because the whole goal is to have people to support you as a like person in the in the music or whatever art is coming out of you. So I've I'm very grateful for them. Even even if they're just not just, but even if it's a, a one dollar a video patron, I get more from their the community of people just showing up for you than even the financial contributions. Like those practically are really helpful. But I think even for me, I'm like, I also just need the people. Yeah. Who are affirming like this is good keep moving with this you're like okay right right <laughs> and do you generally have good um good attendance when you do special things for your patrons like we're going to do a patron zoom meeting tonight um or you know i don't know mm-hmm. what you do a no. survey of 10 <laughs> songs we're going to narrow them down to six do you generally get uh good attendance from from people it's yes and no I would say the Patreon app, like I, I'm, a, it's going to sound like maybe kind of insensitive, but I have to like train people to use page, Patreon um, mm. because people will still like message me on other platforms, like patrons about other things. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm still in the, the mix of trying to figure out if it's worth the effort to get people to, to use Patreon as our hub. Um because like we have a Facebook group and I created that just because I realized that most of them, a lot of them were there. And so now it's like, I'll post something on Patreon. I'll post it in our group and then I'll do a zoom chat. Um, and they're not, I would say they're not well attended compared to like the number of patrons I have, mm. but they're regularly attended by those who that's important for them. So like a while back, not many were showing up and I actually stopped doing them because I was like, oh, these aren't, they're not really a good use of my time if no one's showing up mm. and, they, and they have the potential to be really awkward. Um, if you're just sitting there drinking a cocktail by yourself. <laughs> yeah. With like one other person, they're like, cool, how you, how you, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I obviously have some more time now, but it seemed like not for all, but for a handful of them, it was really meaningful. So I weighed it, weighed it out. I'm like, is this something that I feel like could be meaningful for me and created some boundaries of time? I was like, yeah, I, this could be good for all of us. So I like that about Patreon that you can tweak things too. Like you can build your community in a way where you can set the kind of the expectations of your Patreon account. And then as you grow and as they kind of come and go, you can tweak it to what works. Right. So, so I've established things and then like two months into it, been like, hey guys, this seems odd, doesn't it? And then someone like, yeah, not many. You're like, okay, let's, uh, let's switch let's, it up. Let's switch it up. Like, what's the point of 
still like beating a dead horse. This does not seem to be an effective way of connecting. <laughs> right, right. No, absolutely. And I think my last question for you is, who, who in your mind are you targeting? And what is your goal as a, uh, targeting audience-wise? Um, and what is your goal as a performer? I, I think I hear a lot of people say, Oh, I just want to make people happy playing music. And obviously we all do. Of course, you're in it, you're in it for the right reasons. But if you can be selfish too, what does, what does that gig look like for you? Where you feel like, yeah, this is, I've made it. This is what I want. Oh, I made it. Yeah. Can I ask you what yours is first? Yeah, I, sure. I would say, and it's been the same since I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. I, I would say from a number standpoint well not from a number standpoint i want to i want to get as big as possible while still being genuine to myself and the music that i think is genuine yeah. what i think that looks like if i reach my full potential is 500 to 1500 cap rooms around the country i don't mm-hmm. think springsteen it's different for everybody springsteen can play the pepsi center in front of 30,000 people and mm-hmm. be totally genuine i think if i got that big i think somebody <laughs> somebody would be ramming it in my rear end and I'd be doing something I don't love. Yeah. <laughs> Your turn. No, I, no, that's great. Um, thank you for asking this question because I think for a long time, not I think, I know for a long time it was really hard for me to communicate what I really wanted to do with it because I didn't, it, I had so many conflicting narratives where uh, to want because for me, it's not all about numbers, but it, but it is about numbers in, in many ways. So it's not numbers in the sense of if I just hit a number that I'm pleased. It's all the things that would have to come together. Like you said, 500 to 1500 room. Like simply to have that many people in a room listening to my music wouldn't, I mean, it'd probably be cool, but I don't know if I would be pleased unless a lot of other things had coalesced to make that happen, mm. which is like... I. I want, I want to continue, I hope to keep growing as an artist in a way that the music is connecting with people so that my listeners, that people want to come and listen. So I, I do hope that those num- the audience grows. Yeah. Um, I like the way you framed it, like that size feels like I could still, that it would be a challenge, that it would stretch me to develop my performance but that I could still do it my way, which is I'm going to be Isabeau on stage. Like I do have a performance and I like the idea of being able to perform on stage. Right. But I'm going to perform and still be me. And I think that 500 to 1500 would be thrilling, terrifying, but I'd be stoked to be able to, share with that those that many listeners and learn how to be myself in front of all those people so even just like idiosyncrasies about the way i i don't know talk or interact with people on stage like i went and saw um bazan play and yeah and so the, the band played and then they stepped off for a bit and and i don't know how many i don't know what the capacity is for revolution hall but I, I remember thinking, this is kind of how I want to do it. I do want my audience to grow. I do want more opportunities to play alongside and with people 
that I admire and that I want to lift up in their craft. But that, but he could play to that size of people or, or that size of a room. And then still it felt very natural. It didn't feel like he was like taking off a mask or putting on one, but to step out of that band performance and he just did like a couple songs solo, but then it addressed the audience in a very, it just felt so natural. Yeah. Like, and I know that that does take work. It takes work to be able to be able to shift in those modes so fluidly and right. not be like, dun, 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 now it's me alone and now it's a band. Like, how do you be the performer and then re-enter those conversations so naturally where people trust it and they're like, oh, that's real. Like, he yeah. actually is asking us a question. He didn't prepare that and just spit it out because he thought we wanted to hear it. Like, he's actually engaging his listeners Mm -hmm. um so yeah that feels good i would love to my in the moments not so much the numbers but if someone listens to a song and um feels like found out in a good way not in a scary like maybe catholic guilt way but like a <laughs> like a oh yeah like like it is um that common ground is shared feels a little less alone yeah and more um if I could articulate something for them that maybe they had just held in their brain or they're close to their heart for fear. Like if it were to leak out, they'd be found out. Right. I like, I, I look forward to those moments where people are like, I felt company in those spaces. I'm like, good. Mm. Cause I needed that company when I wrote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. it's a, it's a great way of i mean you've you've connected with somebody in a true mm -hmm. authentic way mm -hmm. i hope to point. play those rooms with you 500 i know i know let's well, we'll hit the road together yeah that'd be rad i know there have been a couple times with ila Vombo where uh maybe bandmates have been i'm not gonna speak for them but they seem unfazed excuse me by this like size or shape of a venue and they probably are excited about it i'm just yeah not reading it and in my mind i'm like cool this is so cool <laughs> oh it, it's hard nerding out oh it's it's hard for me not to go to a concert i, I mean guess we're, we're in different towns so the mm -hmm. the venues i would use as comparatives we're not gonna understand each other's yeah. lingo but say if i go to the ogden theater which is mm -hmm. a uh what a 15 1700 cap room um, if I go there to see a show, I mean, the whole time I picture myself in the artist's shoes, like, oh, this would be awesome. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I think that, I mean, I know it's not possible to remain like that first experience, the fresh excitement at some point, just naturally, that, that it's going to become a normal thing. For So like some of my bandmates who've done that longer, it makes total sense that it's more normal for them. I hope... I hope wherever this, my solo stuff takes me, I hope that even when it's normal, that I could still be stoked about it like a first time or, or, or I just like the idea that people are allowed to be excited about stuff and that doesn't look weird. Like if I saw another band come up at a place and if they were like, this is awesome, I would have so much respect because they weren't yeah. trying to posture and be like, yeah, you know, I play spaces like this all the time. I'm like, shut up. This is cool. You can say it's cool. Like revel in this a little, little bit. La la. Take it you in. You know it. Yeah. Be appreciative of it. So 
Yeah, I hope. <laughs> well, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know we said we were going to talk for 45 minutes and it's been, uh, it's been almost an hour and a half. So how about us? We oh, went for it. I love it. Andy, that's very characteristically me. I'm, I'm long winded. <laughs> me too. Me too. We did. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we done good. We done good. Um, yeah, but I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about your life and career and, and the release. And I wish you every, every bit of success moving forward into the listeners. Please go check out better metric support. Isabel will have links to the Patreon and the, and Spotify and all that. So go check it out. And check out Andy's release this weekend. Oh wait, it'll be, a, it'll be like three weeks ago when this comes out. I think. So go check out Andy's recent release now. You better have already heard it, darn You it. better have already heard it and, and <laughs> written something up and posted it on your Instagram. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Yeah, of course. There you have it. That was a fun conversation. I enjoyed that a lot. And I think you're really going to like Better Metric, which I'm about to play for you. I want to say a quick thanks to our sponsors. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to www.pqmastering.com. Also, our next sponsor is Narrator RF. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, go to www.narratorrf.com. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, hate mail, death threats, you can send them to middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it, and I look forward to – I always say I'll see you next week, but I guess I won't see you. But I look forward to talking for you (laughs) next week. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or what have you – Go give us a five-star rating and leave a review. It helps out a ton. Also, now the podcast is on Spotify. Uh, Just the last couple episodes, we're finally up on Spotify and also YouTube where you can watch the interview. You can see us actually interacting and the expressions on our faces. All right, very good. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Yeah, keep it 
Keep it. 